Hello and welcome to Amen Podcast. We are excited to be starting a new series in Matthew. Alex, let us know what you're talking about today. How to be made new, how to get the newness of God. Sin is the searching and lack of finding newness in the wrong places. Mm. So when you think about the garden where the serpent comes up to Eve and says, you should eat of that tree over there. Doesn't it look so shiny and new and cool? Everything was new about the Garden of Eden. Every day was new. Every moment, every second was new because it was sinless. And so there was no death or decay or brokenness or dirtiness. Everything was new. But the serpent convinced Eve to believe that she needed newness. Mm. And this is the lie that we're falling into every day on Instagram, that we're falling into with the transgender agenda. You need a new sexuality. You need a new boyfriend. You need a new relationship. You need new money. You need new things. The devil has constantly since day one been trying to tempt us with new, but the good news is that the newness of God was promised to us and brought about through generation after generation after generation. Mm -hmm. And in today's text, as we start Matthew It's going to be a long journey in Matthew, but we're going to get so much new things out of it that's going to change you from the inside out, and you're going to be able to tap into the newness that is already available to you. But this one of the first words in the first verse of Genesis is is genealogy. In genealogy, it means Genesis. So Genesis means beginning. It means new. And that is what we're talking about, the Genesis of Jesus Christ. He's always been around. He's been around since eternity past because he's this the eternal son of God, but him coming into the world with a physical body was a new thing that Matthew is going to break down for us and show us because as we look at how Jesus came into the world and the newness that he was bringing with him and the newness newness that was inside of him, as we look at that, we're going to feel and see the newness in us rise up. Mm. And so I'm really excited to get into this before we do. Um, there's nothing new about this podcast. We're still Ed, Ed free. We're or Ed free because none of us are named Ed here. But I'm sure someone out there is named Ed. But we're ad free because of you, and so we thank you for letting us do that. If you want to donate, amenpodcast.com keeps us ad free, keeps us doing this podcast, and we love you. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter one, verse one. You want to read that for us? Sure. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So three things right here in verse one are revealed to us about Jesus. You have to see this. First of all, Christ is not just his last name. It's who he is. Christ means the anointed one. Someone that was anointed in the Bible is someone that God has set apart to do a set apart thing for him. Christ appoints the anointed person to do something very important to God. So that's who Jesus is. The next part is the son of David. Now it says the son of David. So many Jewish people were a son of David, but this is the son of David. God chose this guy, this king, this young kid, David, way back in the day. Didn't choose any of his brothers to be king, chose David. He said, the guy Saul in place right now, the king of Israel, He's horrible. He's got to get out. And you, David, are going to be my new king. But no one expected him to be because he was this little little kid. 
And then he came as a little kid and defeated Goliath. And then people were like, oh, yeah, this is definitely going to be the new king. And I mean, imagine how that could go to your head as a young man. But the thing is, he was a man after God's own heart. He made a lot of mistakes. He killed a lot of people. He did a lot of dirty things. And so God said, listen, I know you're my guy. I know you're the the first greatest king, the first true king of Israel. And I know all that, but you really messed up in a lot of ways. So I know you want to build me a temple, a place, a church where people can come and worship me. I know you want to do that, but it's going to be your descendants that do that. Now, he was talking about Jesus, but it also happened through Solomon. Solomon made a temple, right? And it was Mm -hmm. a beautiful temple and gorgeous, one of the seven (laughs) wonders of the world. But Jesus was going to come and make a temple out of us, out of you Mm -hmm. and me, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to live inside of us. And so that if people wanted to commune and have a connection with God, they could do that through simply meeting a Christian. Mm -hmm. That's the power of of being a Christian. They didn't have to go to the temple. That's why the church is a group of people that get together and and commit to knowing God because his spirit lives inside of us. We don't have to go to an actual church building for that. When we walk and talk and live it out, we are being the church on earth, the temple of God. So those who are in Christ are now the new temple. That's the promise that God gave to David. And so that was what he's bringing about because With that promise of bringing a new temple through his descendants, he was also telling David in the book of Samuel that one of your descendants was going to sit on your throne. Mm -hmm. And so David knew that it was going to be from his family that one of his children, one of his sons was going to sit on his throne. Now, again, that was made true through Solomon and the kids of Solomon. So those were his descendants, David. But God was talking about Jesus the eternal throne that was established with David, the first real king of Israel, was going to be established forever through one of David's descendants, Jesus, because he wasn't like any other of the other descendants. He wasn't like, he wasn't only just like Solomon. He was the greater Solomon. He was the greater version of all of David's future sons, future kings, because he was eternal. That's why it says he is the the son of David. So we know he's the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the one, Mm -hmm. right? Just like in Matrix, Neo, his name means one in in the Matrix. And if you're young, I don't suggest watching this movie. I don't even think I've actually sat through the the Matrix. I just know like- It's long. I know like little parts, but I know it's like inappropriate at times. So I'm not, this isn't an ad for the Matrix. I just know this is a popular movie that everyone- Mostly everyone knows. And they're but, making a new one or something. Yeah, don't yeah, watch it. I don't know. Just read the Bible. It's much better. Much better story. But Neo means the one. I'm just trying to show you how Hollywood always steals from the Bible. Yes. He means the one. He's the one that we're waiting for to come and bring salvation, to bring a change, to bring something new. That's Jesus. He's the one. He's the, the son of David. And lastly, he is the son of Abraham. Again, every Jewish person was a son of Abraham. Every Jewish person was a child of Abraham. But this is saying the child of Abraham, the one. Because if you read Genesis 12, Genesis 13, God is making promises to a pagan guy. Abraham was pagan. And so this first verse is showing us that God loves pagans. 
God loves the Gentiles. He has a plan for the Gentiles. Don't get me wrong. In the book of Psalms, it says that God hates the wicked. He hates the sinners. He hates those who choose to worship other gods, those pagan people. He hates that because he's holy. But in his kindness and in his grace, what does he do? He provides a way for the pagan to be saved. He provides a way for the pagan to know him, to know what true life and true truth is. He calls Abraham, who is a Gentile, outside of the family of God, far from God, and picks him and says, I'm going to use you to create a people for myself. Mm. It's going to start with the Jewish people because my child, my seed, is going to come through this particular race, this particular people, but the promise is going to be open and available to all those who believe in him, all those who are in him. That's so good. he is the son of Abraham because the promises that were made to Abraham from God were made to Abraham and his seed. Now in Romans chapter one, Paul helps us understand this. When God is making these promises to Abraham, he's not making it to Abraham and his seeds plural S. It's to Abraham and his seed, one seed. The promises of a future land that's going to be given to his child where we'll live in harmony and peace forever, a land flowing with milk and honey mm -hmm. symbolically. It wasn't just the land of Canaan in the Old Testament. He's talking about the eternal land, the new heavens and the new earth that we are going to enjoy with Jesus. Those promises of that, the promises of salvation were made to Abraham and his seed. Jesus was was uh, brought out of death. He was raised again by God, his Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation right there. And he's also bringing that salvation to us when we trust in him. So it's the anointed one, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, he's going to have to back this up by showing where is he coming from. And so in verse 2, he starts the genealogy of Jesus. But notice where he starts. He doesn't start with Adam like Luke does. He starts with Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Now let's break this down. Abraham means the father of many nations, the father of a multitude. He's saying that newness starts with faith. Newness doesn't start with man. It starts with faith. So Luke, when he's talking about uh, the genealogy of Jesus tracing back to Adam, what Luke is trying to do is he's trying to show that this man, Jesus, can trace his lineage way back to where we all trace our lineage to, and that is Adam. But Luke was trying to show something different. Uh, Matthew is trying to show that newness, beginning, Genesis, it starts with faith. If you want your life to be made new, if you want a newness about you, if you want to get rid of the boredom of life that you have, you have to start with faith. I was putting my daughter to sleep last night, and you know, I just repented and gave up playing Pokemon. For a week, I was like playing so much Pokemon, and then I realized I'm a grown 30-year-old man. I should not be playing Pokemon. <laughs> and I had a real bad addiction to video games back in the day, and it's because I was constantly bored with my life. I felt mm -hmm. like I needed something new, and so I would consume my time with things that were meaningless mm -hmm. because I wanted something new. It's natural for you to want something new. Mm -hmm. It's in you as a human person to desire newness, especially because constantly every second we're dying. Mm -hmm. And so we want something new. We want something life-giving. 
and we're looking for that. And I was, I was putting my daughter to sleep and I didn't have my Pokemon to distract me. Didn't have my phone. And you know, these minutes can turn into 30 minutes can turn to an hour of putting her to sleep because of depending on how she's feeling that night. And so I'm rocking her and I'm just praying and I'm thinking about this text and I'm bored because I do this every night. And as I was feeling bored, I was praying and talking to God and he told me, listen, this moment can be new if you invite me into it. Mm. Every moment that feels mundane can feel new and have a new newness pumped into it when you invite Jesus into it. He's with you. His spirit is inside of you. There's nothing old and broken and bored and dirty about his spirit. His spirit is inside of you, filling you every moment of the day. But when we feel bored and we feel like we need to distract ourselves with something sinful, something evil, it's because we're not tapping into the newness that's inside of us. Mm -hmm. Tap into the spirit of life, the spirit of newness in you. And when I did that, all of a sudden I started singing to my daughter. I started praying over her. I started quoting scripture to her. The scripture I quoted was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not never die, never perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. Mm -hmm. And so as I was reading, saying that, reciting that over her, I started praying, God, you sent your son to save me. You didn't send your son to come into the earth the first time to condemn me, to point the finger and to judge me and say, this is all your fault. This is you. This is that. That is true. All those things are true. But he came into the world to save me. Mm -hmm. And the second time he comes into the world, it's not going to be like the first time. He's not going to come as a baby. He's going to come as a conquering king mm -hmm. to judge the world. It's going to be a lot different the second time he comes. So it's so important that I reject the, the boredom in my heart and realize the newness of God is in me right now so that I can show people why his son came into the world. So I can show it to my daughter. Mm -hmm. I was right after that, I leave her room and I go to the boys room and I put the boys down. Meanwhile, Lokalani is like cleaning the whole house and doing laundry and stuff. So I don't want you to think like, where's Lokalani? This is just what I do is I put the kids down. So I'm, I go to the boys room and one of our listeners, his name's John. Uh, he sent us a book and it's a book called a view from the zoo. And it's a very old book. And I was excited because I was, he was like, you can use this in your videos and your sermons because it has a lot of illustrations from animals. And I was like, wow, thank you so much. It feels so cool when you guys know, you know, the kind of stuff that we like. Mm -hmm. And we also put our PO box on the donate page of our website. So you guys can send us more books and stuff because this was exciting. So I opened up the first chapter and it's about a giraffe giving birth. Have you ever seen a giraffe give birth? So the guy watching in the book that I'm reading, he's like, the, the birth canal of the mama giraffe to the ground is 10 feet. And so they're like, he was like in the book, he was like, is no one going to put a net up to catch the baby? <laughs> and the guy sitting next to him was like, you've obviously never seen this before. And so he's just quiet. He's just sitting there watching. And the baby drops to its back 10 feet on the ground and then flips over and stands Starts up. Yeah. And then what happens, the mama uses its giant horse-like extraordinary hind legs to kick the baby over and the baby falls over. And the guy watching in the book is like, why did she do that? And then the baby kind of tumbles and stands up, but doesn't walk. And so she kicks it again. And then 
the baby tries again, kicks it again, tries again, kicks it again. The baby gets tired of trying and the mom just keeps kicking it until it keeps standing up and starts to walk. And the reason why is because they were at a zoo. In the wild, a hyena would devour that little baby. Mm -hmm. And so unless that mm -hmm. baby gets kicked and learns to get up and walk and run and follow the herd, it is going to be lion food. God will allow you to be kicked over by life so that you can learn to walk. Mm. So you can learn to walk with him. So you can learn to stay close to him under the shadow of his care. He will allow you to get kicked over for your good. The newness of life is the spirit of God living inside of you, sometimes kicking you. In the story of Batman, when he falls down as a little Bruce Wayne down this giant well and these bats are flying over him and as he breaks something and he's scared and he's hiding from these bats and he's waiting minute after minute after minute after minute for his dad to come spelunking down the well to save him. What does the dad say to him? He says, Bruce, why do we fall? To get back up. So that we can learn to get back up. The Holy Spirit is the newness of life that's going to allow you to fall so that you can learn how to walk, so you can learn how to grow up and be Batman. Mm. Without those falls, you'll never learn the steadfastness that the little brother of Jesus, James, tells us about when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because through them, the testing of your faith is happening, and you're learning steadfastness, learning to fly. Tom Petty has a song called Learning to Fly. You know, he says, he says, I'm learning to fly, but I ain't got wings. And coming down is the hardest thing. Well, coming down is how you learn to fly in the first place. Because as a Christian, you're going to learn to fly without wings. Just like, the, just like Peter walked on water without even the ability to do that. It's a supernatural ability to float to fly that God has given you to the newness of life that's inside of us. Don't listen to the world telling you, I need something new. I need this. I need that. I need to look new. I need to feel new. Mm -hmm. All these things are lies from the devil. Newness has already been brought to you. Newness is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says that he fathered Isaac. Isaac means laughter because Abraham was so old when God said, you're going to have this child, and this child's going to be the first child of many children, of which the seed of the promised covenant of salvation is going to come through. And he was so old. He was 90 plus when this happened. His wife, Sarah, who was 80 plus, laughed. And don't you know, the newness of life comes with laughter. The newness of life. I'm not talking about that weird church over in the mainland that does like the weird laughing thing in church. That's weird, dude. Not right. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a joy. We're talking about a deep happiness that comes from knowing the newness of God is inside of me. That's what Sarah was feeling. Mm. Her parts were not working. So for God to say, you're going to be pregnant was like, wow, are you kidding me? The newness of God, the newness of life is now turning my old womb, reactivating it and making it like a brand new oven in there, that's a joyful thing. You know you have the newness of life when you have joy. Joy snapped into me. 
in that moment when I realize every moment can be new, even if it feels mundane, putting kids to bed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob means trickster. Now, Jacob was made new because God changed his name. It was through his rolling around, prevailing with Jacob, this striving that Jacob did with God when God showed up in the form of a, a, a theophany and wrestled with Jacob, showing showing Jacob that you got to stop trying to trick and wrestle your way out of life. You got to let me win. And Jacob realized that when he said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. I obviously can't beat you. You knocked my hip out of place. You know, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. He's saying that I'm going to hold on to you for my blessing. I'm not going to hold on to my own trickster abilities to one-up people. I'm going to hold on to you. Mm. Jacob was made new through that, and his Mm. name was changed to Israel, which means strives with God. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. He had 11 brothers, Judah. Joseph was one of them. All these other guys, Reuben was one of them. But Judah was the one whom the lion of the tribe of Judah was going to come through. Jesus was going to come through Judah. Mm -hmm. Now, the story of Judah is heavy, and we're going to break it down in verse 3. You're not going to believe how the newness of God can come from such a dark and messed up situation. But let's see if your situation, whatever you're going through, is as messed up and jacked up as Judas. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. So a lot of times we think that God cannot use me. God cannot give me newness because of how messed up my past is. Mm -hmm. Because of the kind of stuff that I've gotten myself into. Now, Judah had some children. One of them married a girl named Tamar. Her husband, Judah's son, died before they could have kids. But God had made up this law that made sure that there was a built-in insurance plan for the mothers so that no one would become a widow without children to take care of her in her old age. And so what the brother-in-law would do is he would impregnate his dead brother's wife so that she could have children, and those kids would be considered the children of her late husband. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing, right? Kind of weird, but it was beautiful. It's only weird because we don't do that today. But it was a great way for the people of Israel to continue their legacy and their family as the promised seed of God was coming through the people of Israel. Well, she didn't get that. And the brother spilled his seed. Instead of impregnating Tamar, he was like, I don't want my brother to have kids. And so he spilled his seed. God was so displeased with this guy, he killed the guy. And Tamar was brokenhearted. She was alone. No man to take care of her in her life. No kids at all. And so what she did was she took matters into her own hands, which was a very bad, evil thing to do. But isn't that just like us? Mm -hmm. When we feel like we're worried about the future, worried about our finances, worried about our provision, we oftentimes take things into our own hands. And a lot of shame comes out of that. And we end up doing something that was completely out of our character. What she does is she dresses up like a prostitute. And one day, as Judah is riding, her father-in-law is riding on whatever type of vehicle they had, he sees her as a prostitute, her face is covered, and he sleeps with her. And now Judah has his own sin that is being revealed in this moment. We see how Judah threw his brother into slavery along along with his other brothers, and now he's confronted with his sin, 
because he's gone as far to reveal some evil darkness in his heart that he would pick up a prostitute on the side of the road. Oftentimes, sin that we've committed way back in the past rears its ugly head in a different way like this situation. So he impregnates his daughter-in-law. And then while they are doing the deed, she takes some of his items. And then it comes out that Tamar gets impregnated unjustly, and they're ready to kill Tamar. Judah actually was the one that's saying, yeah, go ahead and kill her for what she did. It was There was laws in place for adultery and that kind of stuff. And so they're like, yeah, go ahead and kill her. She pulls out the items of Judah that only Judah had, only, only someone who had been in his private areas of his tent could have got these things. She pulls him out and says, I am impregnated by the person who owns these things, catches Judah in 4K. And he says, she is more righteous than me. I messed up. Mm. I messed up. It was, my, it was t- kind of my responsibility to make sure that she had children. And I messed that up. Mm. And then I messed up by committing this adultery. So I double messed up. I tripled messed up. She messed up because she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have dressed like a, like a prostitute. Mm-hmm. But he said, in this whole situation, I am responsible. Mm. The children that she uh, gave birth to were Perez and Perez and Zara. Now, Zara means rising and Perez means a breach. This is a crazy thing. Tamar was made new by the grace and the mercy of God. She didn't deserve children for what she did. She messed up. She impregnated her. She got impregnated by her father-in-law. She took matters into her own hands. Mm-hmm. She didn't deserve this provision. She didn't uh, deserve this form of salvation that was going to come through her children growing up and taking care of her. She didn't deserve that. But God's grace is getting something you do not deserve. His mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And that came through the form of Perez and Sarah. Because when Sarah uh, was born, they were born twins, and he put his arm out of the birth canal Mm -hmm. first. And so the, the midwife takes a scarlet thread and wraps it around Zara's arm. And she says, this one came out first. Mm -hmm. The firstborn child was the one that got the inheritance. It was a lot of the promises and a lot of the good things came. The blessing came to this firstborn child because it came out first. But what happens is Perez breaches, bypasses Sarah. (laughs) The arm comes back in and this Perez pops out. Perez is a picture of us. Because the scarlet thread of Jesus' blood was wrapped around his whole entire body on the cross. The firstborn son of God was the firstborn. The right was to him. But what? He pulled his arm back in so we could breach. Mm. So we could pop out and be treated as the firstborn son. That is us. The newness of God has been given to us because the firstborn son of God said, I am going to be wrapped up in the scarlet thread of blood and I'm going to pull my arm back in through pain, through suffering, through the cross, through holes, through thorns. I'm going to pull it back in so you can breach. So you can come out and be treated as the firstborn child of God. Tamar is made new in the same way that you and I are made new through the grace and the mercy of God. We have to stop 
when we're feeling bored, when we're feeling mundane, when we feel like filling our life with pointless things, we got to stop and look at the grace and the mercy of God. When I'm getting frustrated with my children because I am playing sandcastles in the beach while there's waves pouring in and I want to be out there in the water surfing and I'm getting frustrated, how silly of me not to be able to see the grace and the mercy of God. While there's other people on the beach who cannot have kids, there's other people on the beach who don't know what it's like to connect as a father and as a mother. What what right do I have to pout? Mm. Stop. When you're feeling bored, mundane, look at the grace and the mercy of God in Mm -hmm. your life. And all of a sudden, this newness of life will be regenerated inside of you because it's already there. Mm -hmm. Let's keep going as you look at verse 4 and 5. Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse. So what we're looking at in today's episode is the genealogy and the generations from Abraham to David. Mm-hmm. Now we see that you know Tamar has Perez and Sarah, and through Perez, Perez, um, the one that breached, right? Mm-hmm. Hera, Hezron is coming through there. Aram's coming through there. Aram has Abinadab, all these kids. He, uh, Matthew is skipping generations because Matthew was made new by the newness of God mm-hmm. in Jesus. So mm-hmm. Matthew was a tax collector, mm-hmm. which means he basically unjustly took money from people, but he was really great at numbers. He was really, he was a really good tax collector, just like us. A lot of us were really good at sinning and living a life of sin when Jesus met us. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus met Matthew, he takes Matthew out of his life and says, I'm going to use the gifts that I've implanted in you, the talents I've implanted in you. I'm going to use those for the kingdom of light. So as you leave the kingdom of darkness using Mm -hmm. those talents, you're going to use them now in my kingdom. And what Matthew does is he's writing this gospel to the Jewish people. What he's doing is he's showing there's He's, he's, he's outlined it and organized it 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylon exile, exile, and there's 14 generations from the Babylon exile to David. He broke it up this way so that people could remember it, so the Jewish people could remember it, and God gave him the ability to organize. When God makes you new, he's going to use the talents he's already placed in you for his kingdom. And so... I don't know what it is that you were necessarily good at before you met Jesus, but when you take the sin out of whatever talent that you were using, God is going to say, I'm going to use that for my kingdom. Mm. So I want you to, I want you to see that if you feel like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What does ministry look like for me? I don't know what it is, you know, that you want me to do. I've always been really good at explaining things and helping people understand stuff and memorizing things. And I've always been good at, like, I can read something once and it's stuck in my head forever. I've always had that, but I used it for evil, mm-hmm. right? I used it for, like, video games in the past. Or I used it for my own glory, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, check out how this cool knowledge I know or this cool sports thing I can do. But God wanted to use it for this, for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so look at the things that you're good at, you've been good at, and ask God, how can you use this like you did in Matthew's life? And so Matthew's doing that. Whoops. I lost my place. Oh, there we go. So Matthew's doing that through the way that he's organizing Jesus' 
Jesus's genealogy. And then he says this, he says, through these people that I'm skipping, I'm, I'm showing you the major characters. I want to get to Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. So Rahab, another story of a prostitute, a person who is in Jesus's genealogy, who by Jewish standards should not be there. Women were not mentioned in the genealogy because the seed and the inheritance came through the man, the figureheads in the family. But what Matthew is showing them is that these four women that are mentioned in today's verses are all Gentiles, meaning Gentiles have a place in the promise of God. God was coming to send his son so that the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, can be saved as well. And God can use whoever he chooses to use. The story of Rahab is Joshua and his spies were sent into Jericho to scout out the land because God was going to take over Jericho. God was going to de demolish Jericho and give all the remains to the people of Israel. And so when they get there, Rahab says, come and hide in my house so that the Jer people in Jericho don't find you spies and kill you. But remember me when you guys come back. Because I've heard stories about what your God did to Egypt and to Pharaoh and to the plagues. I've heard these stories, even as a Gentile woman, outside of the Jewish faith, outside of the Jewish family. And so I believe in your God. And I believe that you guys are the children and the promised chosen children of this God. And so when you come back, just remember me. And so Joshua says, I want you to take a scarlet thread. There's another scarlet thread, the blood of Jesus. Hang it out your window, and we, when we come back, all your family better be in this house with the door locked. Because if you're not in this house, better believe we're going to kill every single person in Jericho. And so she hangs that scarlet thread, and she lives. Only those who trust in Jesus and hang the blood of Jesus upon the doorpost of their heart through faith and trust in him will escape the destruction of the child of God. When he comes back, Jesus is going to destroy everything. Mm -hmm. And only those with that scarlet thread will live like Rahab. Well, Rahab goes home with the Jewish people. And as she goes home, she finds a nice Jewish husband, and she gets pregnant, and she has an awesome life. And how did newness come to her? Through repentance, through commitment and loyalty to the covenant. Mm -hmm. God is mentioning Rahab in the genealogy of Jesus because he's trying to show the Jewish people that, hey, I don't care so much about where you can trace your lineage as much as I care about your loyalty to the covenant of your God. Rahab, as a Gentile, was more loyal to the covenant than some of the Jewish people. And so she's mentioned in this lineage, and she's brought new through repentance. She's saying, what I'm choosing to do with my own sexuality as a prostitute, as a one of the first feminists to ever walk the earth, as what I'm choosing to do with my feminism and my sexuality, I'm repenting of that and saying, I am going to choose what God wants for me as a woman. Mm. I'm going to choose God's plan for what, what womanhood is based on the promise that he's made to his children. Hmm. I'm going to look at the promises in the Bible. I'm going to look at the promise that he promised to bring through Jesus, and I'm going to let that shape the way that I see me as a woman. 
And I'm going to leave all this stuff that the world and Jericho is telling me. Because Jericho is telling me I can do what I want with my body. Jericho is telling me I can do what feels right. I can get my bag by selling the way that I look. I can use my sexuality to control others. That's what Jericho's saying. I'm turning away from that. I'm repenting of that. I'm going home with the promised children of God. Through that repentance and that loyalty to the covenant, she was brought new. She's mentioned in the most famous genealogy of all time. And that's a crazy, ironic thing. As a lot of women today, we live in a world where they want to use their body to get famous. Like, no one actually cares about who you are on the inside. They just care about what you look like on the outside. That's shallow. That's empty. You're looking for people to care about you. You're looking for newness in these new people liking, following you, putting you on your story, subscribing to your OnlyFans. You're you're looking for this newness. You're not going to get it through that because none of those people care about you deeply on the inside. Mm -hmm. They only care about what they can get through lust from you. Mm. You're not going to get it through that. This This is an evil, messed up world that we live in. Let's be like Rahab and turn our backs on that. Because if you want someone to love you for the way that you look, they'll never love you for who you are on the inside. Mm-hmm. It clicks for Rahab. And she sees, wow, these, these spies, they have purpose. They have power. I want that. I want to be with you guys. They have a God who loves them regardless. They were slaves. And God said, these people are valuable to me. She saw, I'm valuable to so many men as this powerful prostitute in Jericho, and I still feel like a slave. And so I want what the people of Israel had. She turned her back on that. She repented of that, and newness was her for eternity. Mm, So good. Look at this as we go down into the story of Ruth. Who is Ruth? Ruth's another Gentile. She's a Moabite. Mm Mm-hmm. She's not even with the people of God. What's the story of Ruth? Well, the story of Ruth is her mom, mom-in-law, was Jewish. And the mom-in-law had sons. Ruth married one of these sons. The son died. And even her brother-in-law, like her sister's husband, died too. And so Ruth and her sister, they have no husband, have no kids, and you know the, the mom's a widow. And the, the Jewish mom says, I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to, the, to hang out with the Jewish people. They're going to take care of me because my God has these laws in place where we just take care of the widows there. So I'll see you guys later. So sorry about my sons dying, but I love you. You know, adios. And Ruth and the sister are like, no, we're going to go with you. We love you. On the way there, the mom is like, listen, you guys don't have to stick around with me. It's a long journey. You guys can go. Come on. Like, we're only halfway. You guys go back. And one of the sisters says, okay, adios, bye. She wasn't committed. Ruth was committed. She says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Ruth has no idea how the Jewish people are going to treat her. She's only basing that off of her mother-in-law. But these people can see this Moabite, this Gentile, and say, get away from us. What are you doing? You know, you're not part of our family. Get out of here. You know, we'll take our mom back, but you can go. And Ruth says, regardless of what happens, I'm committed to you and I'm committed to the God who has chosen you. Mm -hmm. 
beautiful. And look at how that's a picture of Jesus. He was treated like an outcaster, treated like an outcaster. I don't know if that's a word, if that's a word or not. I meant to say outcast. outcast. <laughs> treated like an outcast and said, no matter what, I'm committed to you. Mm. If only we could be like Ruth. People who don't belong in the family of God because we've messed up so many times. Spiritually, mm -hmm. we're an outcast. Mm -hmm. And if only we could say, God, regardless of what I've done, regardless of where I've come from, I'm committed to you because I know you're gracious. I know what kind of God you are. And so she goes back and she starts to help out the mother mm -hmm. to get, you know, food for her and gather food, use her youth to work hard so that the mother can still eat. And Boaz is a, is a man of God, descended somehow from Rahab. And he says, look at this woman. This is a woman who is a Gentile, just like my, just like my ancestor, but is committed to the family of God. I love that about Ruth. He marries Ruth, and Ruth has children by him. She was made new through the loving kindness of God. Mm -hmm. If Tamar was made new by the grace and mercy, then Rahab was made new by the promise of God, the faithfulness of God, and Ruth was made new by the loving kindness of God. Because Boaz is a picture of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, mm -hmm. the one that comes uh, that comes to make us his, to bring us into his family, to marry us, to make us legit a part of his family. The loving kindness of God was poured out to Ruth through Boaz. And she later, from her came Obed. Obed came Jesse. And Jesse came King David. The King David, the first real king of Israel, he fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Why does it say Uriah's wife? Why does it not say Bathsheba? It's because Bathsheba was not on the roof. A lot of commentators, a lot of people out there try to make it seem like Bathsheba was some type of like, loose woman of the night who was taking a bath on the roof. The story of Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, is a heavy one because Uriah was one of David's 30 men. If you read the book of Samuel's, uh, Samuel 1, Samuel 2, there is these men that are called the mighty men of David. They're very, really close to David, and essentially they were the Justice League of the, New, the Old Testament. What they accomplished the tremendous feats of destruction that these small group of men, armies of thousands could not do. They were his mighty warriors. And Uriah was one of them. Uriah's name means God is my light. The Lord is my light. Now, he was a Hittite, which means he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jewish person, but his name was Jewish. So he could have been born with that name, or he could have been given that name during the time of being closely associated with David. The point is, Uriah was a man of God. We're going to break down that more later. But he married Bathsheba. Bathsheba possibly could have been a Jewish lady because there was another girl named Bathsheba. So she could have been a part of the Jewish people. And Uriah, when he was connected with David, he married her. But when she was washing herself, commentators have found out that she was washing herself through the ceremonial monthly washing of her period. There was a law back then where, because the period represented this, um, this blood flow and the loss of blood and how that was symbolic of losing life, all that things, 
was supposed to be cleaned up and washed in this ceremonial way to point us to a picture of Jesus, how Jesus was going to wash us with his perfect life-giving blood in the New Testament when he came. And so all the women around their period, they were required to do this. She was doing that when David came out on his roof, the Bible says. David was the one on his roof, not her. She was in a room. She was covered up in some way. David was the one that was peeping Tom and saw her and said, come, I want that girl. And then David is warned several ways not to go about this. First of all, he has wives. That was one warning. Another warning is when the servant went and asked and inquired about Bathsheba, he says, is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, your boy? That was another warning. Another warning was that she wasn't bathing for him to see. She was doing this devotion to God. Mm -hmm. It was another warning. And then he bypasses all those warnings and says, I don't care. I want what I want. And he took her. She gets pregnant, and then he tries to cover it up. What he does is he brings Uriah home from the war. Because when this is all happening was in the springtime when kings went to war. So David... There's another warning. He should have been out not being lazy, not being slothful. He should have been out fighting in the war. The thing is, David had fought so many wars. <laughs> he was so victorious. War had become boredom to him. He was tempted by the sin of looking for newness in the wrong places. And so he said, I'm just going to sit this one out. It's when we are tempted by that sin of looking for newness in the wrong places mm -hmm. that we sit out what we should be partaking in. When we choose to stay home, when we should be going out fighting our battles mm -hmm. alongside of the Lord. So it's when he's home, not fighting, that he ends up making this big mistake. Uriah comes home from the war and says, you know, what's up? And he says, you know, I want you, you're doing great out there. I want you to go home, take a night off. Spend some time with your wife. What David was trying to do was trying to make this baby look like it was Uriah's. Uriah said, not going to do that. My boys are out there. You know, you're my king. I'm serving you right now. I'm not going to go home and play house. I got to work. So I'll hang out with you tonight, but I'm going back to the battlefield. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. Why don't we just have a little party, just me and you? And he gets Uriah drunk. Even in Uriah's Full intoxication. The Bible tells us that Uriah says, I'm not going home. I'll sleep right here on the floor. Even in his intoxication, he is more loyal to the kingdom than most of us are loyal to God in our soberness. Mm. What a beautiful picture. He tells Uriah, go out and go to the front lines, knowing that if Uriah is there, he's going to get killed, and he does get killed. Uriah is a picture of Jesus, the one who is loyal to the kingdom, who was killed so that the son, the descendant of David, brought forth in iniquity, could live. That's us. We're the ones brought forth in sin, made the descendant of David through faith. Because our warrior, our soldier, our loyal Christ died for us mm -hmm. unjustly. 
Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and says, David, you really messed up. And David says, I know. And he repents. And he pleads with God, God, don't take this baby that is in Bathsheba away from me because of my sin. God takes him anyway, takes the baby home to be with him. And David mourns, but after the baby is pronounced dead, he stops mourning. And people are like, what are you doing? Now's the time to mourn. The baby's dead. You were mourning while it was still alive, but now you stopped. And David basically said, I deserve my baby to be taken away from me because of what I did, because of my sin. That baby did not rightfully belong to me. And so now, why would I mourn when that baby is with the Lord and I have given this chance to repent? Now is the time to get up, to eat, and to live for my God. Bathsheba is got the short end of the stick, to say the least, in this whole situation. She could have essentially me tooed David for what he did. But we see Bathsheba just stick with David. Mm. David repents. She's able to see the change in David. And she has brought justice through her child, Solomon. The richest, most powerful man to ever live. Second wisest man to ever live, Jesus being the first. I guess second most powerful because Jesus is the most powerful. But by earthly standards, I mean gazillions of dollars. He, I'm telling you, he, if you look this up, he would make Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos look like they worked at McDonald's. Like that's how huge the gap is in wealth Mm -hmm. for Solomon. Read this for yourself. It's a, there's a huge difference in wealth. She is given justice through how God blessed her son. Her son was the one that built the most beautiful, first major, gorgeous temple of God. You know, there was other traveling tabernacles, but she was given justice through that. She let God fight the battle she could not fight. How is she supposed to fight against a king? How is she supposed to fight against David and all of his power? How is she supposed to say no to a powerful man like that? David was the one that was living in sin. David was the one that was hurting her. And she trusted God to avenge her and have vengeance, and God did. Newness was brought to her by God's justice. Newness will be brought to you regardless how dark and evil your situation is. Newness will be brought to you when you let God fight for you. Mm-hmm. Let God fight your battles. He says, vengeance is mine. What was done to Bathsheba? The Bible says God was displeased with David. What was, God, what was done to her was done to God. What's done to a child of God is done to God himself. When, when evil and darkness has been done to you, it's as if they've been doing it to God's son. Mm-hmm. If, if my son comes home after being bullied, I'm going to take that personally because that's my child. God takes what's been done to you personally because you're his. And he says, it's mine to repay. Mm-hmm. And he will do that. David fathered 
Solomon by Uriah's wife. We're going to talk more about this son, Solomon, in our next episode. But what I want you to see is how the newness of God was brought through Jesus' ancestors. And it's in you right now. Don't choose uh, to, to, to look for newness in the things that are old and broken and dirty. Don't choose those things. Choose to find newness in Jesus. He says, I have come that you may have life. He says, there's no, there's no, nothing that you are going to be able to uh, do on your own. I have to give you the life. He does that by giving over his life for you and raising to new life, proving that this new life is legit. This new life is alive and well in you because our Savior is not dead. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, your genealogy um, that we have seen from you all the way you know, to Jesus, um, this physical um, genealogy that we're able to trace. It's so beautiful, and we pray that we mm-hmm. learn more as we go through the next two episodes looking at the genealogy, and uh, we pray that you would just show us what newness really looks like. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So after the amen is where we are now, and we want to offer you an opportunity to say, where um, does this amen find its place in your life? What is your amen uh, to this message? Um, I'll start. Well, I love this message, Alex. Thank you so much for just unpacking it and making it so clear and um, just going through the different people and their stories. Um, it's just so cool because I think in the past we've, I've just heard like, okay, we're just going to rush through this so we can get to the birth story, you know? And I love how we're taking our time through this to understand these stories and how they point to Christ. Um, Yesterday, you were actually reading, Alex was reading through the genealogy. And I think August or one of the boys was like, Oh, he's talking about Jesus. And another boy was like, no, he's not. He's talking about someone else. And um, I was like, well, he is talking about Jesus. Like Jesus is the word of God, right? So we are talking about Jesus. Um, And also like every story is pointing to Jesus. And we see that today through um, how you've unpacked all of these characters, all of Jesus's family members um, stories and how before he was even born. They point to his life. And I think that is the beauty of the word of God um, is that it is continually pointing to Jesus. It's continually relevant. It's continually um, just speaking to our everyday circumstances. And so that's my amen. I love it. I'm excited for this new series. I'm excited to um, hear some more, to hear some more of Jesus's family members um, stories and then obviously get into his life. That's really exciting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, yeah, thank you. Welcome. Thank you guys. And uh, thank you for sharing that story with the boys and how, you know, the newness of life is just moving throughout our household mm-hmm. every day. And these kids are really getting, you know, to feel that. And, even uh, Amos lost two of his teeth this week. Mm-hmm. 
his two bottom teeth in the front. And just even that is a picture of the newness of God because in order for something new to come, the old must fall out. Yeah. You know, the small and the broken and the worn out must fall out so that the new and the big and the more powerful can come. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I would just see that through our kids' lives. But we love you guys. Thank you so much for being here and supporting us. Amenpodcast.com. And we'll see you in the next one. Yeah. Until then, go out and be the church. Amen.